0: The superboss leaders were the opposite. While they had that big, that strong ego, as I mentioned, they they really valued the quality of the team, and they fundamentally recognized that if they were if they wanted to win, if they wanted to be successful, they really need needed to be able to attract and retain some of the world's best talent around them, and help them get better along the way. And and so you know that's uh, I think that's a pretty. Um, fundamental lesson for my research but also a really big lesson for for anyone in, in any walk of life and 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 you know if I were to generalize I'd say um, appreciating and caring for other people uh, gratitude if you want um, are just really powerful uh, sensibilities and emotions that of course are good for others but they a- actually make you better they make you stronger and sometimes people forget that that's Professor Sid Finkelstein, and I'm Brian Falchuk.
1: The Do A Day Podcast. Where you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day-doers back on another episode of the Do A Day podcast, and this one is a little bit different. First of all, it's a little bit shorter than normal, but more importantly, it's the guest that's different. So you know I like to have people on who have had a real struggle, a real challenge that they've overcome, learned from it, and now they're helping others do the same. This guest hasn't gone through that. Instead, what he's done is he's dedicated so much of his work to figuring out what makes the biggest leaders, whether for good reasons or bad reasons, the most well-known leaders in modern history, great successes or great failures. So this is Professor Sidney Finkelstein from the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College, where he's the Stephen Roth Professor of Management, and he's the faculty director of the Tuck Center for Leadership. So he is such a guru on the subject of leadership. And in his two most well-known books, Why Smart Executives Fail and Super Bosses, how Exceptional Leaders Master the Flow of Talent, he has gone out and directly studied and interviewed, I mean, he's actually talked to these people, some of the best and worst leaders in modern history, and he's figured out why they were so, so successful or why they were such colossal failures. And, you know, it's like I was saying, the, the reasons are not what you'd expect, and I'm so glad he got into it with us today because the coolest part is, is it's about values and approach which means it's things you can learn. You know, it's things you can develop over time, and that's incredibly exciting. Now, I know that firsthand because Professor Finkelstein, uh, that's what I'm used to calling him because he was one of my professors when I went to business school. So I try very hard to call him Sid or Sidney, and it's just weird because I'm used to calling him Professor or Professor Finkelstein, but I, I think I kind of overcome it. Um, but I would love to just jump in and get right into the episode so you can hear directly from him. And I really do recommend, and I say this on the show too, but you got to read his books. Um, Super Boss, this is fantastic. I've given it to people who work for me uh, as a bit of inspiration as they go on their leadership journey. And why smart executives fail, I mean, I think if we don't look at the failures of others, we may simply repeat those failures ourselves. And again, like it's all stuff you can avoid if you know the lessons, and it's stuff you can do on the Super Boss side. If you take in the learning that Professor Finkelstein has gone out, done the research and put into the these two fantastic books. So with that, I will leave it to Sid to walk us through what it really takes to truly be an exceptional leader for generations. Sid Finkelstein, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Great to talk to you, Brian. Yeah, so um, this is an interesting one for me. First of all, even just calling you Sid, I always feel weird doing that. I've been forcing myself to, but you're a professor to me. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to try to get over that battle. But I, I would love to try to pull out some of the insights that you have because, you know, I was telling you before we recorded, this is a little bit different. It's not about your struggles, it's about this insane amount of research that you've been doing throughout your career to understand what really separates the greatest bosses, the greatest leaders from those who are quite the opposite of that. And you've written really both perspectives with uh, two very successful books between Why Smart Executives Fail and Bosses, your most recent book. And so I just, I, I wanted to dig into what you've taken away as the, the key differentiators between those who really struggle as leaders, as change makers, um, and those who are just really defining a different way of success and inspiring others to do the
0: same through their leadership. Right now, as you say, Brian, it's been uh, it's been my uh, my focus, my my passion for for decades, trying to understand why people do what they do, why powerful, important people that have big influence on other people, why they do what they do, and especially when those activities lead to disaster or um, something that's really special that helps change um, an organization, people, uh, a company, a country uh, for the better. Um, and obviously there's a lot of things that can fall into, uh, into that bucket. But, uh, I think I would start with, um, uh, the recognition or the lack thereof, uh, of people around you and, and your, and your team. Uh, one of the things I found with superboss leaders and super boss leaders in, in, in a nutshell are leaders that help create other leaders. They're, they're leaders that have, de- that have developed a track record of generating, regenerating talent really on a continuous basis. And unsurprisingly, they're among the most successful people in, in whatever walk of life they happen to be, whether it's uh, in business or in movies, uh, in television, in the foodie world, um, in advertising, all, all over the place. And um, uh, some of the sewer boss leaders are very, very um, strong, um, powerful. Uh, they don't lack for ego. And when I was doing this research, one of the things that that i had to had to deal with had to kind of figure out is well you know some of these people are um you know they're they are really you know big big ego people ralph lauren in in, in fashion for example larry ellison uh, of course in um you know from from oracle and lots of uh, lots of others and um when when i did the research on failure uh, the why smart executives fail book that you mentioned um, a lot of those leaders really were, were, uh, ultra egotistical as well. And, and so the dilemma I had is, well, what's really different. And, and that's a long way of, of saying what's really different is their understanding and their appreciation, their recognition, their behavior with respect to the people around them and the teams that, that, that they create or that they're involved with. And, uh, the, the why smart executives fail leaders, almost, uh, without exception, really uh, really looked at their teams as people to blame, people not mm-hmm. to worry about, people to, um, um, you know, if something's going wrong, it's, it's their fault. People that had to do their job because the leader had to be successful. The super boss leaders were the opposite. While they had that big, that strong ego, as I mentioned, they, they really valued the quality of the team and they fundamentally recognized that if they, were, if they wanted to win, if they wanted to be successful, they really need needed to be able to attract and retain some of the world's best talent around them and help them get better along the way. And, and so, you know, that's, uh, I think that's a pretty um, fundamental lesson from my research, but also a really big lesson for, for anyone in, in any walk of life. And, 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 you know, if I were to generalize, I'd say um, appreciating and caring for other people, uh, gratitude, if you want, uh, uh, um, are just really powerful uh, sensibilities and emotions that, of course, are good for others, but they a- actually make you better. They make you stronger, and sometimes people forget that. Yeah. So
1: that there's a few really interesting points in that. One is it is important for people to realize this isn't just about a corporate setting. This is leadership quite broadly, or places where one can succeed quite broadly. So I think that's really important. And the other is it is really interesting how you stumble across what's a what is a, a a very strong personality trait that I think people, if you're trying to screen out someone to hire to be a leader, you may say, oh, you know, they come across so egotistical. And what you're saying is, those sort of surface level presentations aren't the things that are going to define the great from from the terrible, mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. to figure out how to dig deeper and understand maybe it's through drawing out stories of their past experiences, good and bad to see how they're describing the others that were in the picture and what their relationship was to them and what the context was relative to those other people.
0: Well, you know, confidence is not a bad thing, is it? Um, Sometimes we think confidence is not so great. Uh, The most successful, uh, I was about to say the most successful people are very confident. In fact, I would say that you cannot be successful unless you have confidence. Uh, And I would add to that confidence and the ability to kind of step back and make room for other people at the same time. Whether that's you know an element of humility, an element of empathy, an element of of understanding, um, and um, that, that that's a lesson. You know, I've I work with a lot of different teams and leaders and organizations, and obviously teach different people. And um, the um, um, top of mind topic more and more over the last few months has been the Me Too movement and uh, yeah. the glass ceiling and uh, and and discrimination against uh, women in the workforce. And, and I go back to confidence as one of the really critical drivers, um, you know, the research on this, and this is research that you know I haven't done, but a lot of other people have, uh, is pretty clear. Uh, when a man is given an opportunity for a big promotion, he's more likely, or big opportunity, he's more likely to say, yes, I'll do it, no problem, without even thinking about it. And a woman will be <laughs> more thoughtful. And that thoughtfulness actually leads to a lower probability of actually getting getting the opportunity and uh which is really kind of bizarre because you want the more thoughtful person but that that lack of confidence in kind of the split moment actually hurts women more than it hurts men and one of the things i've uh, i've been preaching to to my to my students and, and and elsewhere is to is that great leaders really need to look for opportunities to 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 enhance and support the confidence of everyone around uh, everyone around them, everyone in their teams, but maybe especially women uh, that are walking in uh, with um, uh, with more of a challenge when it comes to that.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting when you talk about confidence
0: and humility,
1: and that the two can coexist. I get into a lot of discussions with people who feel like exhibiting confidence is the opposite of humility, and so if you're trying to to be more socially acceptable and and display humility, you can't be confident. I, I think the two can really coexist. And it sounds like you're saying that's actually, that
0: coexistence is a, is a key trait of a successful leader. It is, it is, Brian. You know, one of the things I've, uh, I've uh, slowly but surely learned and, and, and begun to understand after, after doing um, you know, work like this for, for a long time is uh, it's not an either, very few things are either or. Uh, It's really much more about and, 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 you know, the yin and the yang, uh, the confidence and humility, that combination is a very powerful combination. I remember reading an article in the New York Times about uh, Steph Curry, the superstar basketball player for the Golden State Warriors, and the article talked about how he really was a pretty humble, humble guy, but there were times during a game when he would just take control of that game, uh, with he would just kind of take it the way a dog would take a a stuff, a stuffed animal and shake it like crazy and dominate it and 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 have overwhelming uh, confidence border, bordering on, on on arrogance and and it's that combination that that kind of yin and yang thing that I, I've seen that in a lot of other spots as well you know even in the super bosses research super boss leaders are great delegators. they look for opportunities for other people but at the same time they actually are very hands-on as managers. It's not, uh, you know, you're either, your boss is either a big delegator or your boss is a micromanager. And when it comes to these sewer boss leaders, of course, they're not micromanagers, which means doing, you know, doing your job for you, uh, but they, they, they don't just delegate and forget. They are very hands-on, they're teachers, they're interacting, and they do, they do both those things at the same time. I've, I've seen a bunch of other, you know, kind, of, kind of paradoxical, really, but a bunch of other uh, scenarios or situations where, where opposites, uh, this, kind of, this kind of paradox of opposites, that the best leaders actually do both at the same time and not either or. And, and I would say that there's a, I don't know if it's an evolutionary thing here, but there's certainly a human nature thing here, which is that if most people think that if something is good for you, more of it is even better. And that type of linear thinking, I think, is, is not the best way to be thinking. It's not accurate. I think there's a, uh, there's a, there's a balance in some, in some way that, uh, that needs to be appreciated. So
1: do you think that that's something that can be learned or how, you know, if you're someone who's struggling with this right now or wants to be a better leader, how do you get yourself to that place of that balance in the dichotomy between, you know, whatever two traits are sort of at odds. And I totally agree with you. There is definitely too much of a good thing. We go overboard with it. We overindex on, on any one skill and then, you know, that's just not good enough so how do yeah. you how do you develop that balance
0: yeah there i think uh i uh, i think it's absolutely learnable uh and i think uh step 1 is spending a little bit of time thinking about what you do and why you do it uh and i said step 1 in fact that's step life it's called self awareness and 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 it's a lifelong uh, pursuit the more you understand how you look at things how you behave how you're seen by others uh, the better off uh, the better off you, you're going to be uh, i think um uh, I think feedback is a critical thing. Always, really, always asking for feedback, looking for opportunities for other people to kind of tell you what they're seeing and what they're thinking, um, and and always saying thank you for that feedback, whether you agree or not. You want to thank people for taking the time to give you that feedback, and then and then processing this, and 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 then you can be purposeful about that. You know, if um, you know confidence, and humility, those two. Uh, overlap with some personality traits, and that, of course, is a tougher, tougher uh, nut to crack. But uh, you look at the research on on introverts, and introverts can learn all kinds of different techniques to manage perfectly effectively in all sorts of environments. And I think it's no different uh, with respect to someone who might not be, let's say, as naturally confident as somebody else. You look for ways to succeed. You look for wait, look for easy wins, small wins you look for a place where you could you look for a job or an opportunity where you could be you could be the man you could be the woman and and that's going and that's going to help you I think um, the delegation um, um, uh, hands on leadership example that we uh, we talked about uh, that's just management technique right that's just management practice you can you can absolutely do that as well um, another one is um, having a strong point of view a very very strong vision almost uncompromising in your vision for what you want to accomplish and at the same time being completely open-minded to other people's point of view I, I call it unleashing the creativity the people around you again it sounds kind of weird you you're uncompromising but a vision and at the same time you're completely open all kinds of ideas but why why is that why can't you do that why can't you do do both it's uh it, it requires people to step up to maybe fulfill a bit more of their, of their inherent potential and start asking questions of that you know I love to ask and and, and and been around for a long time, which is why and why not. Um, yeah. Those are really good questions. Yeah. So
1: it's get introspective and really dig into who you are, what's going on, how you can grow and be willing to take the feedback to drive further introspection. And I think you can be uncompromising and open at the same time. You're uncompromising in what you want to achieve, but you're open in how you might achieve it because you may not have all the best answers, as shocking as that may seem for some people.
0: Right. Right. Uh, it's, that's, that, 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 that's true. It's a bit of a Zen thing here. You know what I mean? Uh, and and I think I'm going to actually write something about Zen leadership one day. I haven't quite gotten around to it yet, but I think, I think there's something to, to that. When you start to give up something, you start to gain something when you, when, when you rec- recognize that the world is not linear, really at all, yeah. and that more of something is not necessarily a good thing. I mean, you, you know so much about health and, and, and fitness. The example I sometimes use on this topic uh, in, in in workshops or keynotes, I talk about avocados. Everybody loves avocados, they're really good. They're healthy for you, they're kind of a magical thing that tastes so good and it's good for you. Well, okay, eat an avocado. If it's so good for you, maybe you should have two, maybe you should have three, maybe you should have 10. At some point, you're getting into some really crazy stuff. So. Uh, yeah, there, there's some, there, maybe that there, there's some element of common sense, but there's also recognition uh, that, and it's a question people could ask, you know, just because this was good, does that mean doing the same thing or having more of the same thing is actually the right, uh, is, is actually going to be better?
1: And, yeah, yeah. and,
0: and I, phrased, I phrased that you know, a little bit differently than what I had said before, because I also want to kind of bring up or, or encompass this uh, this problem that you see time and time again on uh, On people, um, it's kind of like the generals winning winning the last battle, winning the last war. People uh, have such an incredible tendency to rely on their own experience, rely on what they've done before, to rely on what worked before. And that's one of the biggest reasons why learning is so challenging. It's so difficult for for many people. you You go back to the same to the same uh, playbook, but in fact, that playbook needs to you need to have that that kind of open-mindedness and that learning and that recognition. And again, very tough question to ask. I, I've written about this and talk about this in a, in a variety of places. Uh, think about your own personal experience. Our personal experience is so important. It's so critical to who we are as an individual. But sometimes that experience can actually hurt us more than it could help us. And understanding and and, and appreciating uh, is but I think it's uh, it's one of the places where you see a lot of a lot of mistakes happen, going back to the same playbook time and time again. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think we're a very reductionist society, that linear thinking
1: that you're talking about. You know, if one thing's good, take all the noise out. I can't I can't deal with any more information. I don't want to do any more work. Let me just do a lot of that. You know, whether it's avocados or kale or. Um, delegating or not delegating or, you know, whatever it is, we just want one thing. We want to do it nonstop and get the result quickly. And that's not really the path to the best kind of outcome. I, I do want to touch on failure because I have to say one of the, the few things that may just be that I'm tired and getting older, but one of the few things that I actually still remember explicitly from business school is you talking about in your top management teams class, uh, the idea of, wanting to hire the person who's failed that when you have someone who's never failed they've never been tested and maybe they've just moved on from one role to the next before the failure manifested you know they had these one to two year stints and they kept getting promoted and and you never get to see whether their work actually played out well or not but you you talked about this desire to actually find the people who have been tested who have had a chance to learn from their mistakes how much does that play out in the leadership context with super bosses as
0: well well, I guess the first thing to say is that Superboss leaders—they're uh, not afraid of making a mistake. They're not afraid of failure, as long as the failure is for the right reasons. Uh, for I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the um, uh, one of the people I profile in the book is Jay Shiat, who was uh, the founder of the advertising agency Shiat Day, um, and which was really big in the '70s, '80s, '90s. Uh, that's the company that actually made the, the, um, the, um, they did the think different. yeah, yeah, exactly. For 1984, Super and a bunch of, other. yeah. And, uh, so Jay Shiat was a very creative person. He really is someone who practiced some of the things I, I've just touched on around, you know, unleashing the creativity of the people around them. And he actually, uh, rewarded, uh, some team members. That didn't get a contract from a client that that lost the the the, the proposal. Some they went with somebody else. He actually uh, would reward them with bonus money if they lost for the right reasons. And the right reasons for him were that they were pushing the envelope, and that they were going they were coming up with something so creative that maybe they were a touch further than where the client was. Uh, if someone had a, had a more let's say a timid approach or just kind of a boring approach. Um, and lost. Uh, I mean, he 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 didn't he didn't deal with that nearly as well. And so failing for the right reasons, kind of a kind of an interesting thing. Failing because you're really going for it. Uh, yeah. Failing because not just kind of trying to hold on and and uh, and and last to the end of the game, but failing because you know you're it's it's uh, it's fourth and two, and you're you're going for it. Uh, that the Super Boss leaders because they are risk takers um, maybe more so than the average um executive or average leader um they they really resonated uh, with that they appreciated that they they actually taught people how to do it they, they emphasized it they rewarded it in the ways that I described so it's pretty interesting to think about how failure tied into some of uh, some of the repertoire of the super boss leaders that's great they don't shy
1: away from it and of course if, if you don't if you don't try and that's the reason why you fail you failed before you even began you didn't actually put anything into it yeah Well that's
0: uh that sounds like my uh, spinning instructor you know, <laughs> if, if you're not uh if, if you're not feeling it then you know you didn't have to come here uh, if you're not if you don't really feel that you're climbing up a hill then then you know you're not climbing up a hill <laughs> yeah no that's very very true so i want to uh you know i want to try to figure
1: out from a a takeaway standpoint we we hit on egotism and that that's not necessarily a problem maybe confidence is a better word for it but it's mixing that with humility and recognition for those around you and your ability to contribute is there another one of these dichotomies that really stood out to you that differentiated the, the people in one of your books from the other you know the, the successes from the failures uh
0: yeah there 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 were uh i guess the one i would mentioned as we, we didn't touch on it at all uh, it also relates to managing teams, and but it's it's around competition. Um, and everyone, I don't know if everyone's the right word, but a lot of people like competitive people. A lot of companies hire competitive people, and I'm a big believer in in that if someone is uh, 100% competitive and is working in a team, it doesn't always work out so well because not um, not everyone is going to be in the same place. And who are you going to compete with? You may sometimes be competing with the people Uh, on your own on your own team so um, uh, unbridled competition without limits is probably something you saw or I saw with the failing with the failing leaders they didn't know how to turn off that that competition gene and they ended up uh, uh, losing business um, you know annoying people um, um, not doing what they not not really um, um, and lo- losing, losing talent and customers as a matter of fact. Um, but, uh, you go to the super boss leaders and some of the things, and some of the ways in which they actually manage their, their teams. Uh, and, uh, and they really, uh, they, they really tried to combine again, they're, they're opposites, uh, competitive intensity in the team and cooperation and collaboration. And, and again, it's, People could, you know, you ask somebody about their boss and what kind of culture you have in your organization or your team. And often people say, well, very competitive or we're more more collaborative. Well, uh, how about trying to do both at the same time? And I know it sounds really odd, but um, I'll give you uh, one of my favorite examples from the research. Um, And that's uh, Saturday Night Live. Uh, Lauren Michaels um, is a longtime executive producer, creator of the show. And I interviewed him a couple of times. And he described, how he purposely um, managed the show to enhance both competition and collaboration um, among uh, cast members and writers and and costume designers and everyone else. And what he did specifically is, as you go through the week, uh, they would create skits, um, uh, and a whole bunch of them. And of course, what's a skit? It's a collaboration among um, performers, writers, uh, set designers, costume designers, uh, maybe a director as well. And, um, and so to, to get on the show, you have to be really good at collaboration. You have to be able to form these, these teams, these ad hoc teams and multiple teams at the same time. But as you got to closer to Friday, because of course it's you know, Saturday Night Live, so you get closer to Friday, they would typically have something like two and a half hours of programming and skits and, 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 and material. But the show itself is only 90 minutes. And so in the last 36 hours, they'd have to, they'd have to cut back from two and a half hours to one and a half hours, and what what is that? I mean, that's the definition of competition. In fact, that's 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 a scarce resource that everybody wants. And how are you going to get it? Well, you better raise your game. Maybe you got to have a little bit of sharp elbows. But who are you competing with? The same people you're actually collaborating with. And so, if you go too far in either direction, uh, you you compete too aggressively in the way that the wise, smart executives fail. Never took any any prisoners. Uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna make it difficult for anyone to want, for anyone to want to work with you in the future. But the opposite is, if you're always collaborating, you're always smiling, you're always yes, if, uh, sure, I'll do that, I'll be part of the team. Well, you know, n- maybe you're not gonna be, you're not gonna be raising your game when you need to to get to be in that one and a half hours of of show rather than the the hour uh, that gets cut in the, at the end of the game, at the end of the at the end of the week. Doing both is. Yeah. Uh, it's a paradox, but uh, absolutely a critical thing. That
1: is such an interesting example. I don't think the average person realizes that there's that interplay in a you know in a show, especially one like SNL. So uh, that's a that's a really cool example. I would not have thought of something like that playing out there. Um, so before I let you go, and I want to want to ask one thing: is there's so much talk about the changing dynamic of employees today, and you know the buzzword millennials and Privilege or, or feeling of, um, you know, they, they deserve things. I don't really care whether you're a millennial or not. I think if you act overly privileged, that's where I would have an issue with you. I don't mind what generation you're from. But there's definitely a lot of focus on a shift in the type of people that are that are in the workforce right now and the way that we work, you know, much more remote working, either because geographically we're more dispersed or because technologically we can be or you know, teams are more global. Do you see changes in some of these fundamental reasons why someone would be a super boss leader versus an executive who fails? Or do you think actually these are truisms that would apply whether people are all, you know, local in a, in a small business or global or in the tech industry or healthcare, or, you know, whatever, or, or politics or whatever the situation may be? Are these universal across time and culture or are they things that actually will be
0: shifting? So that's a, that's a great question, and a couple of things I want to say. The first is you're talking about a sense of entitlement. And uh, like you, I'm, I am not a fan of people that walk around with that sense of entitlement. Uh, and, and, and boy, there's a lot I could say about this. Uh, I tell my students, usually in the first week or two of class, these are you know, among the world's brightest, most capable people, 27-, 28-, 29-year-old MBA students, uh, and I tell them they're lucky. Uh, they don't always like me to say that uh, because they've worked incredibly hard. They're incredibly smart uh, and they end up in one of the top business schools in the world and they're launching their career and, the, and um, almost without exception, they're going to do, they're going to really do well. But I tell them they're lucky because they didn't pick their parents. And so the IQ that they were born with actually, which is essential to do all these standardized tests that we force people to do to get into business school and law school and medical school. Well, uh, that's a gigantic advantage, uh, advantage for them. There's many other things, uh, I could say about lucky, uh, around, you know, um, kind of Hillary Clinton's idea of it takes a village. You, uh, people think that the, it's a one man, one woman show, but in fact you were, de- you we're all dependent on so many other people. So people that walk around saying that, you know, they're, they're, they're special. Uh, it's, uh, th- these are people you don't want on your team. These are people that could be cancers on your team. And, uh, Um, And in general, they're just not the best uh, the best people. I think you have to respect everyone uh, No matter who they are until proven until there's data to say that they don't deserve your respect and I also like to think about people that um, um, Look where people came from and where they started and what they had to overcome and, and and their resilience and and that to me tells you tells you a lot you know somebody that ends up uh, doing some, uh, I'll call it, you know, a blue collar job. And it's not necessarily, you know, a a big time executive or a professor or what have you. Well, they deserve, they deserve a hundred percent of our respect. Uh, if they started where in a place where they didn't have certain advantages that many, many of us have had, and they ended up getting to a place where there's, um, where there's a capability, where they're contributing, where they're making a living, where they're doing positive things. So, um, um, uh, that's the first thing i wanted to i wanted to say i kind of got on my soapbox okay. on that one uh, but the question of super bosses um, uh and and how um you know how consistent they are or how how fundamental some of the some of the things they do and and who they are and how they behave uh i was very interested in that question and i and i ended up looking at uh, all kinds of different super boss leaders um after the book was published uh i ended up uh I'm still doing a little bit of that, looking at super bosses in about 15 other countries to see just how different they are, uh, if they are. And I looked at some additional super boss leaders in different walks of life, um, some in government, some in the military, uh, some uh, some from 20 or 30 or 50 years ago. Um, and I and I would say that my my primary takeaway on that is that what they have uh, that is similar, that is consistent. Uh, is much greater than than what the differences are, even across uh, countries, which I I thought was really uh, interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I found super boss leaders in China, in in India, uh, in Scandinavian countries, uh, in in um, in Mexico. I mean, lots lots of different lots of lots of different, uh, lots of, uh, lots of different places. Um, and 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 I and I think uh, one one of the important things for for people to keep in mind is. Um, there are super boss leaders up and down every organization that I've ever, ever been involved with or ever worked with there they're some have more than others, but every organization of any size is going to have super boss leaders. The problem is that very often we don't even, we don't even know who they are. Mm. Uh, we haven't recognized them. And it's kind of, you know, it's a tremendous asset, if you will. Uh, and it's a, it's a tremendous asset that we're actually not leveraging. We're not taking advantage of. We're not, you know, if you have super boss leaders somewhere in your company, you know who they are. You want them to be teachers. You want them to be leading, le- doing leadership development. You want them to be doing town halls. You want to make sure that they're being recognized for what they're doing. And I think that's something that's a big uh, lost uh, lost opportunity. So um, uh, there are plenty of super bosses. Uh, we don't know who we don't necessarily know who they are because we haven't done a good enough job. And within organizations to start to recognize that, I think there are ways you can you can start to suss that out. But it, it People, millennials or older people, different countries, different, different eras even, uh, I think there's no question that uh, some of the core attributes of Superboss leaders, which are around finding amazing talent in all sorts of creative ways, um, being, being big, motiv- big time motivators and inspirers of, of, of people, having that, that strong, uncompromising vision, unleashing the creativity of people around you. And, and, and developing these teams uh, that, uh, that really can, can do anything. Those, those things are, are pretty powerful and pretty, uh, pretty durable, I think.
1: That's, that's, I mean, it's information that's, I think, really powerful for us to know that it does transcend culture. The indications are that it transcends time. It's just up to us to discover who those people are and foster it.
0: And by the way, Brian, it's up to us to become that type of person to create those opportunities for people around you to give, to to see the potential in others sometimes before they see it themselves. Yeah. You know, anyone who's had a boss or a coach or a trainer or a teacher uh, in their lives that has done something like that for them that that, you you know who it is. You never forget. I always say you never forget a super boss and who doesn't want to have that legacy.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's very true. I certainly remember mine Um, and I hope that someone remembers me that way at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, this is uh, it's hugely helpful. I'm really glad that you were able to make some time to be on tonight, and um, of course, I'll link to everything. But where's where's the easiest place where people can go and learn more about your books? And I I can't recommend reading them enough. I mean, you know, I've I've read them. I've given them to others as well. Really powerful stuff. And even just the case studies, the conversations you've had with really incredible leaders. Um, it's
0: worth it just for that. So, where can people get more information on everything you've done? Uh, I have a couple of websites. The simple one is superbosses.com, but there's an uh, which has all sorts of uh, all sorts of links to things I've done in the media and information about uh, about my books. But uh, you can always Google my name, uh, Sidney Finkelstein uh, Tuck, or Dartmouth, and all kinds of other things start to show up. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at sid s y b Finkelstein. And I'm always happy to engage with people that way. I really
1: appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on, Professor Finkelstein. Sid, <laughs> I'll, I'll end by just saying, Sid, um, I, I appreciate having you tonight. Old
0: old habits die hard. That's right.
1: Thank you, Brian. All right. Be well. What'd you think? Pretty awesome, right? He has done the research and really figured out some just amazing lessons about truly great leadership, and truly bad leadership. I think one of the key things that I took away was around this dichotomy idea, this idea that you can have traits that are at odds with each other, you know, that you can be super confident. And, you know, in some cases, he said, even egotistical, yet still have humility, and understanding how to balance those things that you can be really, really driven and goal oriented and dead set on what you want to achieve. And yet, be completely open to how other people might achieve it and the ideas that they may have. It, it, it's definitely brilliant stuff, and there is a path to learning how to do it yourself if you're not there yet. And I think that's what's most exciting. So yeah, do go to superbosses.com. Um, you know, that's definitely the easiest place to remember and and uh, find out more about the book. Obviously, you can find his stuff on Amazon, really any bookseller. I mean, these are major sellers in the the business book space. And of course, check the show notes. It'll be all linked up there. And Sid's right. If you Google Sidney Finkelstein, you'll find everything he does pretty quickly. Um, And I encourage you to find it. And at the same time, you can find all that I do at brianfalchuk.com. And of course, doadaybook.com. You can get the book. You can get my articles. You can Subscribe to the podcast, read the blog posts, the whole nine. And of course, you can follow me on social media. Um, you should follow Sid as well. I'll link to that below. And follow me at Brian Falchuk on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, and I would really just ask, if you're getting something from this podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, please do subscribe. I make it my mission to keep bringing inspiration and education to everybody and if you subscribe that's the easiest way to make sure that you never miss an episode that you get that content that inspiration on a regular basis and if you really like what you're getting i would be so honored and thankful if you would take it to the next step and leave a review the more views more positive reviews we get the better that helps the podcast get discovered by people and uh, just helps it grow and you know my mission is to help as many people as I possibly can. So I need a bit of your help to do that. So check it out. Go to doadaybook.com. Go to brianfalchuk.com. Go to the podcast, subscribe, review it, and you know, consider buying the book if you haven't yet. The lessons are uh, what everyone tells me is really powerful. Of course, I think they are, but I'm kind of biased, but I'm hearing it from other people. So if you love what you're hearing, that's a great way to continue your learning and your growth. So with that, I will let everybody go. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Do a Day podcast. And I can't wait for you to come back out and keep on doing it. Thanks, everyone.